0: Welcome to Digital First Leadership, the podcast that focuses on helping leaders and teams understand how to master the language of social media in today's digital first world. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Richard Bliss, and you're listening to Digital First Leadership, the podcast that focuses on how we build and become leaders in the digital world. My guest today is someone I'm really thrilled to have. All my guests are special, but this one's special, more special than the others. And I do, Suzanne, I do say that to everybody. So just just so we're <laughs> clear. I'm joined by Suzanne Tedrick. Suzanne Tedrick is a technical trainer uh, in the tech industry, very large uh, company that she works for. She's the author, though, of Women of Color in Tech and the co-author of the book coming out called in- Innovating for Diversity. And I'm excited to have her on the, on the uh, podcast because we get to talk about some t- topics, a wide range of topics today. But uh, Suzanne, thank you so much for having me here. Oh, no. Thank you so much for being here. Sorry. <laughs> Richard, it's a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited for the conversation. Oh, my gosh. I've been, on, I've been a guest on a lot of podcasts recently, <laughs> and I just forgot that I'm the host. It's <laughs> my show. All right. Let's talk about... Uh, so thank you for being here. Let's talk a little bit about um, your books. You've got two books. The one that came out two years ago, April of 2020, right at the beginning of the pandemic. Uh, women in tech in color. No, women in, of color in tech. I'm yes. struggling today. <laughs> and then the one that's coming out in April of uh, 2023, Innovating Diversity. So talk to us about women of color in tech, because I'm fascinated by this topic. Having I'm here in Silicon Valley. I work with a lot of tech companies, and I've had the opportunity of working with a lot of women in tech, some of them pioneers in the industry. And so I'm fascinated on your take. What the book was about and how important it was you feel in today's world?
1: Yeah. Uh, so, Women of Color in Tech, uh, I wrote in the end of uh, 2019. Uh, and you're right, right at the height of the pandemic, it came right. out. Um, but it's meant to inform and inspire women of color to pursue tech careers. And it is largely based on my own transition into technology after having spent many years working in uh, administrative and operations type roles in financial services. Uh, The book serves a number of different purposes. It, It kind of paints the picture of what a technology career is beyond just what you hear about with software development or network engineering, but really painting that fuller picture so that women of color can see the different options that are available based on uh, their work beliefs, their work values, the things that really inspire them. Um, and how do you get ready for those careers? Um, not just from a technical skills perspective, but a professional skill perspective, You know, building those communication skills, getting mentors and sponsors. Uh, so really talking about a really holistic view on how women of color uh, would prepare for these careers and then talking very candidly about some of the challenges that they tend to face that have been talked about quite a bit so talking about microaggressions and bias but also talking about some that perhaps get some surface level attention like the mental health and making sure that their mental health is okay um, making sure that uh, they understand what imposter syndrome is and that they're not being their own worst enemy in their in their minds uh, so really just trying to provide the the knowledge that I learned on this transition the good the bad the ugly and and everything in between so that uh, more women of color uh, are, are in the industry I which is something that I've I am advocating for all the time.
0: Are you seeing that are you seeing that it's that the the message is having success across the board. You're uh, relatively young and here you are in tech. Uh, you work for a very large well-known tech ind- company. You've made that transition. Are we seeing some of these barriers breaking down and more and more women of color finding a career in the tech industry? Definitely. So when
1: I First started writing women of color in tech, I was noticing a a pattern from research. Uh, The Kapoor Center actually came out with what was called the Tech Leavers Study, which was looking at the negative migration of women of color from tech positions. And I'm happy to say in the last couple of years, that's changed. We're starting to see more women of color, not just in uh, positions within tech companies. It's not right. the same as a tech position. Absolutely. So, you know, th- there, is, there is a distinction between the two so that they have, uh, you know, autonomy over their career, there's growth and what have you versus I happen to be a person that works at a tech company in a non-tech role. Those are two very different things. What I'm noticing more now is that there still seems to be a challenge from taking people coming in at a entry level or early career level in their tech career and, and really growing them into that next step. so what you know what does it look like to be a, a, a leader in in their particular profession? what does it what does growth mean for their position? And the the research is kind of pointing to that while, yes, we're doing a great job of bringing women of color and people of color into technology jobs, we're kind of doing them a disservice and that we're not talking about, well, how do we sustain their careers? How do we grow them to whatever they're going to be in our organizations? So I think that's
0: the part that we're, we're kind of missing now. Yeah, I have to agree because as I'm listening to you and I'm trying to think that, <laughs> Why in the world would a young woman want to pursue a career in an industry that traditionally is so dominated by one set, what would inspire them to actually take the steps to fight that uphill battle? Because it's going to be an up, I mean, even, so, as you're saying, it's still, there's still a battle. But what would, what would possibly would inspire them to do that? Why don't they just like, you know what? I don't need that. I'm going to go do something else. <laughs> I mean, I was a history major. And people are like, why did you major in history? Because it was easy. I mean, I'll be open because it, was it wasn't it was necessarily. But, but I got ask you, why, why in the world should a young woman even think about this career when, it, she, when she's looking at such daunting challenges to step into it? Da- challenges that, that other um, pe- peers would not experience because of their gender or because of their race?
1: Yeah, it's a fair question. And it's a question I ask myself a, a lot, you know, when I, <laughs> when, I think, when, I think, when I think about, especially when I see certain statistics and I, and I see certain things happen, I'm like, why? Why on earth would I, I keep advocating and always being this cheerleader for coming into the tech industry? Uh, so money aside, compensation aside, it's one of the few industries where there's lots of opportunity. And the barriers for entry are not as significant as perhaps some other male-dominated fields. You can enter into the tech industry without necessarily having a four-year degree. I will say that employers need to do a better job (laughs) of of lifting that requirement all the time because sometimes it's, it's more prohibitive of getting top talent
0: because you and um, I, sorry to interrupt. Yeah, You and I yeah, both yeah. know that that four year college degree requirement, you're right. I hadn't thought about it. nobody cares. They, they honestly, They're not in tech, not in tech. <laughs> nobody cares. Not in tech. <laughs> And yet, as you're just saying, it becomes a mental barrier because a young woman looks at that and says, Oh, well, you know, I, I'm not quite there or I had to drop out or I'm a college dropout. I didn't graduate, and yet um, now, as you're saying that, I'm like, oh wow, nobody ever asked me, nobody ever cared. Yeah, you're nobody, right.
1: nobody. Really, I mean, like for you know, for, for disclosure, you know, I I did go to school. I did go to Northwestern University, and you know, I'm I'm attending to get uh, an NDA. But that being said, those are more so things from my personal development sure. versus I need it to advance in my career, because that's not always true. That's not always true. You know, it's, it's like, not. do you have the skill? Do you have the demonstrable skill to do your job? You know, <laughs> which is what tech mostly cares about. Do you have the skills to do your job? And it's one of those few fields that you can do that. You can break in without having that traditional degree or having it from a very, very expensive school. Um, the second is that those opportunities you're kind of limited by your imagination as to what you can you can do. So prior to becoming a, a technical trainer, I was a technical specialist, you know, talking about cloud computing, but applying that to major sports teams and leagues. And the use cases and the the problems that you can solve with technology are just limitless. It's just yeah. more about, you know, do you have the time and the inclination to really think these things out? And very few jobs allow you to have that type of Creativity, um, you know, utilizing technology in a way that uh, is meaningful for a, a grand number of people. It's not, so, it's not something that you can find in financial services very easily. It's like, you know, with the financial service, it's like, okay, here's
0: your money, you know. <laughs> well, and then the, the restrictions and the train. Exactly, the, you've gone to the complete opposite of it's not merit based. There, it's like, can you follow the rules, stay within the rules, and don't get us into trouble? Type. Right?
1: Yeah. I, And granted for that industry, you need those controls in place. You do like, you can't, you can't just go willy nilly, but But you know, tech,
0: I mean, you're right. (laughs) You can can pursue a passion like you have where you're there. You say, I'm interested in this. I'm going to push through these challenges. I'm going to push through these barriers and I'm going to make something so I, I can see how that would work. So your book, then you've, you've got a, another one that's coming out, which takes a slightly different approach to this. And that is innovating for diversity, because now it sounds like, because I haven't read the manuscript, you're going from the individual to the organization. Is that fairly accurate in the, the next shift?
1: That is, that's fairly accurate. Uh, I, I noticed that in the in the time that I wrote Women of Color in Tech and, and having conversations with readers and leaders in different parts of organizations, I realized that for all of the good that I can do in mentoring people and teaching people skills and, and what have you, uh, there still needs to be change that happens at the, the organizational level, and especially with top leadership when it comes to diversity, equity, and inclusion. Like, we can get the workforce developed, we can get the workforce ready, but if we're not creating organizations that are inclusive or you know where they're offering equitable opportunities for everybody and everybody has a feeling that they belong in their you know respective organizations um anything that i tell a mentee is really you know it's a it's kind of one-sided and so with innovating for diversity we're really taking a look at well what has traditionally not worked with DI programs and where myself and my co-author, Bertina Ceccarelli, where we have seen companies use innovation principles um, in order to institute lasting change within their organizations.
0: It's it's encouraging to see so many um, companies, organizations taking these steps. Now, in some cases, they're small steps and in some cases, they're false steps, meaning that they try it it doesn't work out, it kind of peters out, and then a new initiative is pushed, right? So, false, not is that there wasn't any intent there to do good, but sometimes it doesn't have the full follow through. Uh, and again, I'll come back to the question, kind of the same question Do you see mm-hmm. hope? Uh, are, are organizations making these changes to the point where we're seeing that progress happen? Is the book a positive look? Here's some companies that are doing it, or uh, man, we have so much further to go, or is it a blend of both?
1: It's a blend of both. I mean, we we can't we can't talk about you know all all of the successes and you know right. like the, the the good feelings and everything without being candid about what isn't working. Uh, for example, using DEI more as a a marketing push for talent versus this is part of our culture, or leaving DI strictly to a siloed monolithic department versus embedding it in everything that you do. We have to talk about that. Um, but we, we're also hopeful that by talking about the, the case studies and the companies that we cite, like, hey, the, you know, they went through it too. They, they went through some hard times. They didn't always get it right. There were some missteps um, and, and better ifs, but they're doing it. They're committing to the process of getting better and realizing that it's for their benefit as an organization to, to invest this time and energy into. So hopefully it's serving as, a, as a, a symbol of hope for other organizations that are like really stymied about oh, this is just too much and I'm worried I'm going to get it wrong. Uh, I'm not going to have the, the impact that I want. Um, really, it's just to give more of a of a guiding light you know towards those companies that it is possible.
0: As a parting piece of advice, what advice would you give then to an organization and to an individual within that organization how they can affect this change um, because I have to believe that you have to have some people step up. It can't just be a committee. And you've got to have some champions step up, but then you have to have the organization being prepared to do that. So what advice do we give to those two sides of it, the champions or the participants and the organization itself?
1: That's a great question. Um, I'll try to see if I can sum it up to, to one thing in particular. Uh, for the, the individuals, uh, holding leaders accountable for change, uh, you know, making it vocal that change is needed, what needs to happen, the change that they like to see. So it's really a matter of keeping the leadership
0: accountable for the change. Can so I, if they're, oh, go ahead. Yes. When you say, can I ask, when you say change, what are we primarily talking about? Are we talking about a, a hiring ratio? Are we talking about, uh, what are we talking about here when you say change?
1: Yeah, I think, it. well, that's going to be dependent on the organization. So like no, no organizations, DEI efforts and strategies and initiatives are going to match another's. Um, They're they're going to be focusing on different things depending on their size and, you know, a number of other factors. When I say when I say holding people accountable for change, um, thinking back towards the civil unrest because of the murder of George Floyd, many companies made many proclamations as to what they were going to do in the face of that. So when your leadership is saying, we are going to commit X dollars or we are going to commit right. you know, towards these initiatives, it's imperative that the rest of the organization hold our leaders accountable to the messages that they're putting out there. So if you're telling me that you're going to commit a million dollars towards uh, you know, improving recruiting efforts towards diverse audiences, I'm going to want to see proof <laughs> of this. Right? Like I don't I don't necessarily need like the actual like invoices or receipts, but I need to know what have you tangibly done towards this this goal and you need to communicate, you know, communicate Got that it. to me since you communicated it to me so broadly. So like as an employee of your organization, I am owed that explanation because you publicly put it out there, you know, <laughs> and, and I am a representative of that organization.
0: Well, I, I like what you've said because you've done a good job of summing it up, and that is the organization needs to take stands, publicly announce it, say this is what we're going to do. The individuals need to hold the organization, step up, and make sure that it's just not words, and then somehow come together, the two of them, to find that way to implement that change. Uh, and make sure that it's not just some other department's role, some other person's job, but that they that all of us take the ownership to stand up and say, "Look, this is the changes that need to happen."
1: Absolutely, yeah. Everyone's got to take ownership when it comes to to di. It's not it's not just the chief diversity officer, um, who, by the way, according to a lot of research, the, the the chief diversity officer's tenure is less than three years because they're so burnt out. They're so burnt out and carrying the, the, you know, the, the gift and the burden of doing this important job. So, and that's not fair. That's not fair on them. It's, it's everybody's responsibility for implementing DEI, regardless of where you happen to be uh, in the organization. So,
0: um, yeah. <laughs> this has been very helpful. Suzanne, I certainly appreciate you taking the time to join me to talk about this topic. We can't talk about it too much. Uh, We just, we keep making progress. So thank you very much for enlightening me and the audience with uh, the work that you're doing.
1: My pleasure. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a huge DI advocate. I'm also learning every day too, to be better.
0: (laughs) I think we all are. And so we're we're all on that side of it. So for those of you who are listening, who would like to find out more information about Suzanne, you can find a couple of places you can find her. One, you can go to Amazon. Her name is spelled S-U-S-A-N-N-E, Suzanne Tedrick, T-E-D-R-I-C-K. And you can go put into Amazon and up will come her book, Woman of Color, Women of Color in Tech. You can also go to her website, spelled the same thing, com, to find out all kinds of information, have her speak and have her uh, learn more about her upcoming book, as well as all of the efforts that she's putting into the DI initiative. So Suzanne, thank you so much for joining us. Richard, Thank you. It's been a pleasure. You've been listening to Digital First Leadership. My guest has been Suzanne Tedrick. I'm Richard Bliss, your host. And thank you again for listening. We appreciate particularly the feedback that I receive from so many of you who are listening, who reach out through LinkedIn and a variety of other topics, expressing your appreciation of the show and the guests that I have on. So thank you so much for doing that. I look forward to continuing to hear from you. Take care. You've been listening to Digital First Leadership, the podcast where you learn to leverage and build your expertise on digital platforms. For more valuable tips on mastering the language of social media, subscribe to our newsletter at blisspointconsult.com. If you'd like to stay in touch, feel free to add Richard on LinkedIn and join the conversation.